Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just moments after playing them. My name is Tim. And this is Chris. And this is Adam. And tonight, instead of giving our hot take on a game we just finished playing, we're going to talk about board game expansions. We're going to list our top five board game expansions and talk about why we like expansions or if we don't. Uh, but before we jump into that conversation, hey guys, I have some poll results for you. So I asked a poll on Twitter, what's your favorite type of game? But the funny thing about this is that I asked this poll, I got a lot of good uh, results here. Some of the first comments I got was you guys questioning my definition of types of games. So I want to talk about that. I want to explain myself. Did you guys have any, any questions about the types of games I listed before I jump into that? Well, it seems a little god complexy <laughs> of you to boil down all types of games into four separate categories. So, did you know? I guess that's did, fine. No, did I guess you that's know, fine. That makes did sense. You know, did, you, did you know that Twitter only allows four um, options on poll results? That that's oh, so now it's Twitter's fault. <laughs> Blame everybody else, Tim. So salty. All right. So here's so okay. Let me let me explain here. So here's what I asked. I said. Um, let us know what type of what your favorite type of game is. I said, personally, I've never met a resource I didn't want to manage. So obviously I'm into resource management games, but here are the four types I listed. Number one was resource management and then Euro in um, in quotation marks. No, not quotation marks, what do you call those? Parentheses, uh, I think. Parentheses, thank for. you. <laughs> parentheses. And then I said it's thematic slash- It's a really long show, <laughs> <laughs> I said thematic slash story driven. Uh, number three was high conflict, and number four was party games. Okay, but as soon as I um, asked that question, one of my first comments was from BGHT Adam. Oh, Adam, that's you. Uh, substitute conflict with interaction, and it gets my vote. And then the next one was Chris saying, I'm not sure I'd consider thematic to be a genre. <laughs> I'm not going to go into his long uh, explanation here, but you guys just question my, <laughs> my options for games. Let me explain what I meant, okay? And then and then I'll read the results, and you guys can tell me how Please you actually do. feel Please now that you understand explain it. Yourself. <clears throat> okay, so resource management, and then I said Euro. And the reason that, that we're saying resource management instead of just Euro is because we don't want to be too Euro focused here. You know, I think we think that games can come from anywhere and have resource management as a key part. So that's why I use that term. But I wanted to clarify that it encompassed the games that are previously known as Euros. The next one was thematic story driven. What I meant there was that there are games. Um, okay, Chris, here's an example. Betrayal at House on the Hill. That doesn't have a whole lot of game to it, but mm -hmm. it does have a story that drives the game. Um, some other examples would be um, Cthulhu Death May Die, where, you know, there are decisions to make. There's some game mechanisms, but it's story driven. Um, Near and Far has story elements, even though it's a Euro. There are games that are thematic and story driven. So I was kind of asking, is that the type of game that you prefer? High conflict. Really? What are we talking about here? Troops on a map. That's high conflict. There can be other games with a lot of, a lot of conflict, but that was one of the options. And then party games. Obviously, there's like 15 other categories I could have put out there, but Twitter does limit <laughs> me to four options. So now that I've explained myself, which of those options would you, would each of you say is your favorite type of game? So two things on that before answering the question. One is I don't ever like to admit that you were right about something, but even before you just gave that explanation, I kind of came around to your way of thinking on the thematic story driven for some reasons that we'll talk about in the main part of our show tonight. All right. And um, the second thing is 
Um, I forget what the set thing, second thing is, so I'm going to pass it off to Adam. <laughs> so where do you games like Dune Imperium fit on this? Because to me... It's a Euro game. Is... It's a resource management game. And it has conflicts. See, like there can be amalgams, right? You can have mixes, but what's your favorite? Like if you had to pick one or the other, which would you pick? If you wanted a game that was high conflict like Kemet or a game that was resource driven like Garages of the Ganges... Those are kind of like more extreme of those two types. Which would you pick of the two? I don't know. I just say don't try to pigeonhole me, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you have to give an actual answer here, Adam. So I did. I think I ended up voting for high conflict in the sense that conflict means interaction. I like that interaction. I like playing against the players, not against a game system, not against a, uh, a game puzzle. I want to play against the other people that I'm sitting around the table with. I actually thought about putting high interaction there, but I think there's some high interaction euros, you know, like I think there's high interaction games with resource management. It's maybe not as common, but there is some of those. So I I, I don't know. I was trying to, I was trying to pick something that was very extreme there. What about you, Chris? What would be your favorite choice? Yeah. Not only did I forget my number two, but I forgot to actually answer the question. Uh, I think the answer to that is probably the same as Adam's, but let me give a caveat to that, that the more I've gotten into some of the heavyweight, uh, resource management games. I like a nice element of resource management in a game, even if it's a high conflict, you know, dudes on a map game. Yeah. I think you can really, and, and Kemet's a good example of that. And I think that really adds a dynamic to the games that is enjoyable. I like it, Chris. I like it. Well, I feel the same way. I think if you're going to have high conflict in a game, at least let me manage some resources to make it uh, seem like an interesting puzzle. So I just want to give props to Chris because I think it was Chris's quote who said, Tim's never met a resource that he didn't want to <laughs> Yeah, it was. And then Tim stole that. and I did steal it from Chris. So I'm guessing your vote was for resource management, Tim. Yeah, I kind of, well, I kind of said that in my question that I said personally, I've never met a resource I didn't want to manage. Yes, I did vote for that. Okay, but here's how our follow, here's how our followers or listeners um, commented, or whoever answered this. I don't know if it's any of our listeners, but whoever answered this poll, out of the 39 votes, 56% of them said resource management. Mm-hmm. So pretty clear majority there are on my side. Clearly, there's Team Tim here. It's not sides. 31 per- <laughs> 31% though took a choice that none of us um, opted for, which is thematic story-driven. And I, I get that sense, you know, like there's a lot of people that really love story-driven games, games that are really just like, what are some other ones? Destiny is a new one that just came out or like Arkham Horror, um, you know, games that are just more about telling a big story and just letting it take you along rather than actually playing the game. So is that like Time Stories or Sherlock Holmes yeah. Consulting Detective I would, or? I would think so. Yeah, I would think okay. those are all story driven games for sure. And right? yeah. what about the uh, Sleeping Gods? Would that fall in there or where is that? How do those kind of fall in there? Yeah, well, so like um, Near and Far is an example where there's story in it, and, um, and but there's a lot of resource management mechanisms. And I, I assume Sleeping God's kind of the same, but I would say that Sleeping God's falls more on, this, on the thematic story-driven side than Near and Far does. So yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I feel like almost all legacy games have some of that in there too. Yeah, I think a good I think a good legacy game does tell a story regardless of the other mechanisms in, in the game. So you could probably lean on that. Only 10% said high conflict, but again, I didn't use a very common term for what I was trying to get to there. So I think I think my terminology was definitely problematic here, because since you guys didn't even understand what I was talk- what I was talking about, and we we chat all the time about games. So only 3% said party games. I wanted to give it an option, but that doesn't surprise me either. Um, I don't think most of our listeners or followers are just party gamers. So 
Have you guys ever heard the term omni-gamer? Do you know what that means? No. I have heard that term. I think it's someone who doesn't shy away from any type of game or enjoys all type of games. I like to consider myself a tiny bit of an omni-gamer. An omni-gamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So an omni-gamer, I think, is somebody who says, like, yeah, I like anything. I like party games. I like word games. I like you know Euros. I like whatever. Would you guys consider yourself omni-gamers? Adam, you said a little bit. Yeah, so to follow up on that, yeah, I wouldn't mind. I don't mind any of these these games. What I like about board games is hanging out with people, getting the interaction in, finding out little tidbits of personality, and trying to make a good time for everybody involved, and just feeling that that social connection that is kind of hard to achieve. So I think board games have a nice way of doing that. And anything that brings that out is fantastic in my book. What about you, Chris? You know, honestly, uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. Adam is right on the money. Completely agree. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, no, if it's not a resource management game, I don't want to play it. <laughs> no, actually, I, the reason I asked that question is because I would have probably considered myself an omni-gamer in the past because generally you're right. I mean, that's why, like, if I'm hanging out with friends, I'd rather be playing games than doing something else, and I don't really care what the game is. Mm-hmm. But I have found more and more that there are, you know, when I think of a game night and what gets me excited about it, and then the wrong type of game comes out, then it kind of bums me out. You know, like that. Like I'm, I'm going to a game night to, to play a certain type of game. And um, and so like somebody's like, oh, yeah, we, we just had a game night. Let's play, you know, um, I don't know, like some party game um, trades or whatever that that doesn't get me excited. You know, that kind of I'm kind of disappointed by that. So I don't know that I would consider myself an Omni gamer, but I would rather be playing most games than watching paint dry. So there's that. That makes me an Omni gamer. Right. All right. Well, that's uh, that's kind of how people thought about the types of games they like to play, regardless of how terribly worded my question was there. All right, so let's talk about board game expansions. Hey, before we get into our top five board game expansions, why don't you guys tell me, what do you think about expansions in general? Do you think they help games? Do you think they bloat games? Do you like expansions? Um, what in, And what do you look for in, in expansions? When you when you do buy an expansion, why, do you, why, why would you pick one? Um, Chris, what about you? What do you think about expansions in general? You know, generally I like them. And I think one of the reasons is, you know, like so many people who play games, you know, we're all sort of gearheads, you know, we like to have stuff that you can buy to add on to something you already enjoy. That's why we like things like upgraded metal coins and cool little minis instead of the, you know, the the little meeples or the standees or whatever. And so I think that's actually a really appealing aspect of expansions. I got a game I love. I can add something to it that makes it, you know, potentially more fun or even just puts another cool box on my shelf, then that's, you know, that's kind of a cool thing. That said, you know, also they're big money makers. So, you know, I question sometimes whether they're necessary or appropriate. And actually, when I was thinking through my top five, I kind of got philosophical about it and was thinking, so what are expansions for? There's different kinds of expansions, and I think they do different things. And one of them is just purely providing additional content that there is, you know, there's a limited number of, you know, say items you can use or cards you can play or what have you. And there's a kind of expansion where it goes in and just gives you more of those things that you can use as you're playing. That's one kind of expansion. Another kind of expansion is something that adds a different element or a mechanic to a game and take kind of takes it off in a little bit of a different direction. And that's a interesting thing about that one is there's sort of a second question I ask myself on that. I think we've all played games where we say, once we get an expansion, well, I'm never going to play this game again without that expansion. And in those situations, you have to ask yourself, well, then why didn't they just put that in the main game? If it's that good, you know, it's that critical to, you know, the game being good, it improves it that much. Why didn't they just do that in the first place? And I think for the most part, 
it probably has more to do with good ideas that come up later or something like that, rather than having it be a board game designer decides they want to make a buck later. So they're going to put out an expansion. So I give them, you know, I give them the benefit of the doubt on that, but that's what I think. And it depends on the game, which of those, you know, which of those things it's accomplishing, whether or not I like the expansion. So it really just depends on the circumstances, the game and the style of expansion that it is. Chris, if you go, you know, listen to our interview with James A. Wilson on and Everdell. In that case, he's added some expansions, and some people might say, "Yeah, this is I would never play the game without this," or um, you know, it just added blow. But you know, he just came up with those completely after the game was popular, and people started asking for expansions. So he said, "What can I do with this?" On the other hand, you got companies like Fantasy Flight who put out a living card game. the The whole concept of the game is what can I sell now to make sure that I can sell more content later? Mm-hmm. So some of that happens. I would guess that most games, most kind of traditional board games, they're produced to just be the best game, the, the tightest game that they can for the audience they're trying to find. And then when it's popular, then they put out more content to either bring new audiences in or give their current fans something that they want. So I, I think you can give most designers and publishers the benefit of the doubt on why they've held some content back. But there's definitely some companies that capitalize on that and they're, they're there just to turn it into a recurring revenue thing, which is, you know, like that's a business model and everybody's out there to make some money so that you can't, can't really fault them for that. Yeah. I have a total unfounded sense, unproven, but it's sort of what you were saying, Tim. A publisher is going to make a game, put it out there, and they don't want to print all this extra stuff if the game's not going to be successful. So put out like a baseline, solid core game and see how it's received and if people enjoy it and they're requesting more stuff they want more then okay add those extra ideas that the designer might have had along the way or something that lends itself uh, that makes sense to the board game as is to get it out there to the people that are wanting it and make yourself a little extra money if you're the developer and avoid that risk of printing all that stuff up front and not have it be well received. That's a really interesting point you made there, Adam. And I hadn't thought about that at all, but that's a really, that is a really good, a good reason why you might hold off on something like that. So you're, you're showing your business acumen. Thank you. Yeah. And another reason a publisher might do it is because when you release the first version of a game, you also want to make it more accessible. So you could add more mechanisms and sometimes the right thing is to cut mechanisms and make things more accessible, simplified, easier to learn. But then maybe you can add them back on if, if somebody who's played your game wants to get back to it. A couple possible reasons why you're cutting something. Maybe it's the production cost, like Adam said, or it's the, the simplicity. But do you generally like expansions, Adam? You know, how do you how do you feel about do you look do you search out expansions when you've got a game you like? I'm gonna give this the classic it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Just like kind of kind of like Chris did. Sometimes it can be below Terraforming Mars, for instance, I think it's up to five or something expansions. Like Turmoil, I haven't even opened that up yet. Um, and I'm going to talk more about Terraforming Mars in a little bit, but like the Venus next one, some people call that bloat and I could see where that's bloat, but you know what? The cards are mixed in there for me and I'm not going to go through and take them out (laughs) and I enjoy it enough that it doesn't bother me that it's in there. But yeah, in general, I, I do enjoy expansions. What about you, Tim? Did you answer this one already or have you not? No, no, I haven't. I haven't answered. So, you know, I, I want to just comment on Venus Next and my thoughts on Venus Next. That was actually, I think, the first expansion or, you know, one of the earliest expansions from Terraforming Mars. I think it was the first. I think it that is actually just a designer trying to figure out how to make an expansion. So I think Venus Next has some problems, but I don't think it was just, let's throw more stuff in the box. I think it was hey, this seems like a cool idea, let's try it. And another great example of that is, to me, uh, Pearl Brook from Everdell. 
you know, so when James A. Wilson went to make his first expansion, he he tried to put something. And some people like Pearlbrook, don't get me wrong, and just like some people like Venus Next. But to me, both of those games feel like they add something to the game that doesn't really blend well with it. And um, I think they were just first attempts, and their later expansions in both cases got better. So, you know, maybe it, maybe it was just a money grab, but I think it was just a new designers trying something different for the first time and then learning from the experience. As far as expansions go, I do really like expansions for the most part. As you guys know, I keep a fairly tight collection. And so, I, you know, I generally keep games in my collection that I really love. And so I'd rather explore more of that game and play more of it than just buy more games. And so if an expansion comes out for one of the games I own, typically I'll pick it up. But I'm starting to shift a little bit on that. And part of that is that my game collection has grown a little bit, but also I'm playing just a lot more other games and don't have as much time to explore a game as deeply. So I'm a little more picky about the expansions I get. If an expansion just adds more content that makes the game fun right out of the box and more replayable so that when I do bring it back out, it just gives me a new experience, I'll usually pick that expansion up no problem. If the game adds significant difference in the mechanisms and it's not fixing something that I thought was a problem, I might stay away from the expansion at this point. And of course, that's going to vary if it's a game I absolutely love and I'll, I might pick it up anyway. But yeah, I in the past, I would have picked up any expansion that came out for a game that I owned. That's shifted on me a little bit now. So I'm starting to kind of be a little bit more um, picky about the expansions I go after. So that being said, let's jump into our top five expansions that we love. It's funny because there was some news, uh, two news items that came out in just the last week. One was that Lost Ruins of Ar Arnak just announced their first expansion, and then Dune Imperium today announced its first expansion. Two games that I absolutely love from last year. Both expansions to me seem like they're just going to add more, you know, like variability, um, some minor gameplay mechanisms, but just add more of what I loved about the game. So those are two games that I'm really excited about. And it'll be interesting to see how a year from now after playing those, does that shift our our current choices or my current choices anyway, since I love those games so much. Start with our top, with our number five. Chris, why don't you start? And I'm actually, before we do get started, uh, a lot of times when we do these kind of best of episodes, we'll deconflict ahead of time so we're not just repeating each other. And this time, Tim said, I'm not even going to do that because I'm so confident that you guys are not going to have any overlap with me. And I'm really curious to see if that holds out. So I, that may be true. But I'm just curious to see. I can tell you right now, I know which game Chris thinks that we're overlapping on and we didn't. So we'll, we'll see if that's accurate. But Okay, and I'm dying to hear what that is when we, when we wrap <laughs> up here. All right. So my number five is uh, Disney Villainous. For those that are not familiar, that is a game where you essentially play as a Disney villain and you have a completely asymmetric mission, asymmetric cards, asymmetric play style. You're trying to do entirely different things. And... Your game is, is based very much on the character that you're playing. And then each character, or excuse me, each player has their own character and they, there's some interaction, but a lot of it is based on the character that you're playing. And I think the base set comes with six or so villains that you can play. Since then, Disney has put out a whole slew. I'm not sure how many, but it's at least five or six expansions, which they actually called expandalones. Because you can actually pick up any one of those expansions and play that as the game. Because really all you need is you need to have the, the characters in order to play. And I thought that was a really neat thing. In some circumstances, I might say that that's a little bit of a money grab. But honestly, 
the people who are going to be into playing Disney villainous are going to be Disney fans, and they're going to have their favorites. They're going to have their villains they want to play. They're going to like the idea of mixing and matching and coming up with wacky combos of people that can play against one another, just like me. And I think this really creates an interesting opportunity to do that. And also, contrary to some you know, where you have to buy an expensive base game and then buy an expensive expansion, here, if you want, you can just buy a couple of the minor expansions if that's what appeals to you. You, can, you don't have to spend a whole lot of money. So I thought that that was kind of cool. Really, it's, it's an additional content kind of expansion when you're know, going back to the, the styles that I was talking about before. And that's essentially what that is. But because it's asymmetric, it also creates you know, new play opportunities and, and new styles as well. So that is, that is my number five, is Disney Villainous. Chris, a couple of questions for you. Is that your dog making an appearance on the show? Is that what I just heard? I was wondering why you guys were <laughs> that, laughing. Uh, yeah, that, that's, the heavy that's panting in the dog. background. Yeah, that huffing and puffing. I'm trying to think of whether uh, you know Adam's going to be able to edit that out. Yeah, I'm going to leave so, that. That's me panting at the idea of expansions. <laughs> I love expansions. <laughs> sounds perfect. And then, okay, a few episodes back, you mentioned having your eye on Villainous, and I'm guessing you've since purchased a few of these expansions and played. And what's your thoughts? I did buy the base game which again has a bunch of content to it already so i didn't feel the need to go out and buy any expansions and it's a it's a fun it's a fun little game it's not a super heavy duty game it's a fun one i played it a couple times with my wife i haven't actually won a game yet so that's a good sign if it's something that i can get my butt kicked at by someone who doesn't play a whole lot of games that kind of makes it more fun for me and anything that gets my you know the hooks in to make someone more enthusiastic about gaming is is great as well but yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really pleased with that purchase. Can I just um, try to clarify here? We're talking about the top five expansions of all time. So you're not actually talking about having played an expansion in this series, is that? Do I understand that right? I, I guess that's sort of true. But but I think <laughs> I think the point is that there really is no such thing as an expansion. Or conversely, you could say it's all expansion. Okay. <laughs> Everything is expansion in this game, which is which is kind of a neat thing. Well, this fits perfectly with your trend of breaking all the rules for our top top five or ten lists, anyway. So perfect start, Chris. Adam, what about you? What's your what's your number five expansion? I'm gonna go. I'm also gonna break the rules and just <laughs> erode the fabric of the strength of our podcast. And I'm gonna talk about Race for the Galaxy. There's three expansions here, so that's how I'm breaking the rules. And these are actual real expansions. So the first one is The Gathering Storm. This was released way back in 2008. And then the follow-on was Rebel versus Imperium. And then there was The Brink of War was another expansion. These all added more cards to the abstract iconography of Race for the Galaxy. But they're fantastic. I got into this game way back in the day and played tons and tons and tons with actual deck. And then have since sold the deck. And I just have the app now. The app's fantastic. It runs everything. It's got a nice... Very difficult AI, very intelligent AI to play against. So that's where most of my play comes for Race for the Galaxy. These, what do these add? These add like the Prestige, which is another way to win. Another resource you can play around with. These add just more six-point cards, just different ways to win. They kind of downplay the production planets, production worlds, if you're at all familiar with Race for the Galaxy, and add some other viable options and different paths to victory. Uh, so that's Race for Galaxy, the three that I mentioned here were Gathering Storm, Rebel vs. Imperium, and The Brink of War. 
You guys ever play a race? I played it just a little bit on the app, kind of went through a learning game or two, and it felt a little bit overwhelming to try to learn on that interface. I'd love to play it. I'm sure it's not that hard to get into um, once you get through a couple of games, but it it didn't uh, keep my attention to learn through the app, but uh, I'd like to play it in person sometime. I know it by reputation, but I've never played. Iconography is dense. It's tough to get into. You know... I was going to ask you guys the question if you had a hard time making a list of five expansions. Um, I can tell that Adam has already because he put three into his number five spot. But um, I did have a a hard time putting together just five expansions in here. And in fact, right now I'm trying to figure out what I start with as my number five. So I think the way I'm going to order this for myself is to, to choose the expansion of these five that I think is the least game changing of the five. And so the one I'm going to start with is it's the New Discoveries expansion for Underwater Cities. And this is one of those expansions that I would say does exactly what I like in an expansion, and that it just adds more fun content, more variability in the game without really making the game harder to learn. So I can basically play at least some of the modules in this expansion the first time I'm teaching somebody uh, the game. Underwater Cities, New Discoveries adds just a whole bunch of new cards in the in the you know era one two and three decks so that just get you know changes the game up a little bit it also adds variable starting powers which are not too complex they're very easy to teach somebody and it's it's called the quick start mode so if you play with those variable starting powers you also start with some different resources instead of everybody starting with the same resources and it just kind of speeds the game up a little bit or it's supposed to but i think because you have more choices to make it doesn't really speed the game up that much but it does make it more interesting and more variable so i really like those pieces of it it also does something that doesn't often happen with expansions which which it directly upgrades some of the base components it replaces the original base uh, player boards which were just flat cardboard with dual layer in fact quadruple layer player board triple layer player board because it's dual sided boards that are now um, dual layer on both sides so it gives you a nice upgraded experience with the base boards but then gives you a whole bunch of other variable boards to play with as well as some other expansion content some other ways to play so really really dense expansion it's got a whole lot of stuff going for it you can just throw some stuff in if you just want to add more variability to the game you can add new ways to play and it just upgrades the experience it's a pretty expensive expansion it costs i think as much or even more than the base game does so that makes it a little bit of a hard sell but if you love the game the expansion is totally worth it so that's my number five underwater cities new discoveries Hey, Tim, I have a question for you about that one. And the things that you listed off, and I have not played this expansion, so I'm not familiar with it firsthand, but the things you listed are all pretty standard issue expansion type stuff. So, you know, new cards, added quality player you know, aids or, uh, or uh, components to the game. In a situation like that, where they're all kind of sort of no-brainers, like this is what you might do to, to change the game or to, to augment the game. What do you think was driving the decision to do that by the publisher? I think it just, it was a popular game and they just wanted to put out more content for the fans, to be honest. Because it's, it, like I said, it's pretty expensive. So you have to be a fan of the game to pick it up. You know, probably one of the things that drove it is a lot of people complained about the player boards, piece of paper board. I'm guessing that that was kind of their attempt to say like, hey, let's, let's make an upgraded experience for it and then let's add a bunch of other content in. But um, yeah, I don't really know. And in any case, to me, it made me happy to have more stuff to kind of switch up the game a little bit. It seems like a win-win if the publisher can make some more money and the players of the game want it, then everybody's happy, I feel like. 
Yeah. Yeah. One thing to note that this may um, be kind of a indicator of the future, but this was a Rio Grande game published in the United States anyway. They also did the expansion for, I think it was uh, Roll for the Galaxy, which is known to be a solid expansion, but also more expensive than the base game. Rio Grande also published Beyond the Sun, and that's an expansion I'm really excited about because it adds a solo mode, but it also adds new variable player powers and some other stuff. I wonder if that's going to be another one of those big box expansions, though, something that doubles the amount of content that you had in the base game. So it'll be interesting to watch for that one. I'll be all in on it if it is, because, you know, I I love that game and just want to experience it more. But I could see that being a challenge for somebody that's just on the fringe and says, hey, I just want a solo mode, but now I have to pay you know, double the cost of the original game. Speaking of which, and just to draw this episode out even longer, the <laughs> the print run, a new print run of Beyond the Sun just came out, and I think it's they're about to sell out all again. And one reason that I haven't bought is because I heard of this expansion, and I'm hoping for some future big box expansion or some sort of comboing of all these expansions into one. So that's why I held off on this latest print run of Beyond the Sun. I love the game, but I didn't do it. I'm the same. I almost bought it recently, and I just really, I don't want to buy it without the solo mode because I don't think I'll get to play it as much as I'd like to otherwise, and the solo will at least give me the opportunity. So once the expansion's out, I'm buying the base game for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I may pick it up before then, but that's interesting to hear that it's almost sold out again. I hadn't uh, I hadn't heard that. Prices are going back up, so. That's funny. That's funny. Beyond the Sun, now on now on upgraded graphics. <laughs> Merged cells. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, what's your number four expansion? Well, now now that we've spent a fair amount of time denigrating um, terraforming Mars, I will reveal that my number four was Terraforming Mars, Hellas, and Elysium, which I'm also happy to say was a gift from Tim. I forget if it was for a birthday or or, or what. But for those that have not played Terraforming Mars, which is probably not anybody listening to this podcast right now, a great deal of what happens in that game is based on the map that you're playing on. And there are different spaces on the map that do different things. And there are awards and milestones that drive some of the goals that you have in the game. And what this does is provide you an entirely new map to play on a different part of mars and different milestones and different awards and so it changes out some fundamental things but it does it in a really subtle way so it adds this new content but it does it through a basic new playboard which is great because it's not it's not super expensive i assume (laughs) i haven't bought it that was a gift but i assume it wasn't that expensive or tim wouldn't have bought it for me and it adds an elegant new way to play the game and which actually is quite useful, I think, because we recently, my wife and I played a marathon round of, uh, of Terraforming Mars. And it is a game. It's a dense game. And it can get a little bit fatiguing after a while, especially when you start seeing the same cards over and over and over again when you play it you know, game after game. And being able to switch up that map and have two other maps to choose from really did refresh things and made it enjoyable. So it's certainly something that I think anybody who enjoys Terraforming Mars, even if you don't have all the other expansions, that is a great expansion that you can invest in and and really refresh your game. Those maps are some of my favorite expansions for Terraforming Mars. They change the game just enough to add that little bit of interest to the, I don't know what you call it, area management. I really like that that aspect of the game. I like the game itself. In fact, my number four expansion is the Prelude expansion to Terraforming Mars. This is just a tiny little box of cards. 
it adds these little prelude cards that kind of boost your economy right off the bat, either give you money or production or some other cool stuff, some oceans, whatever, a city. And they add some new cards and some new corporations. And it's just a nice dash of salt on a tasty game as it is anyway that kind of kickstarts it and it shortens the game for the most part. So that's my number four, Prelude. Prelude is a great expansion that agreed. You could probably add it in any time. And one of the things it does, aside from making some fun decisions early on and giving you um, a little bit of a variable start, is it does speed up the game a little bit. And I love Terraforming Mars, and I don't mind sitting down and playing it for three, three and a half hours. But, um, you know, it, it's nice when you can play something a little bit quicker. It doesn't speed it up that much, but it, it helps a little bit. So mm-hmm. I like it. All right. So my number four expansion, I think I'm going to go with... Amber Mines, which is an expansion for Near and Far. Uh, Near and Far is a Ryan Lockett game. It's a it's kind of an interesting little story based. We talked a little bit a little bit about it actually at the intro segment, but it's got some story driven elements. But it is truly a, a Euro race game. Uh, the idea being that you have some worker placement. You're going around and collecting resources and building up your little adventuring party, and then one of the actions you can take is to adventure and go out into the world and and basically explore. Um, but it, it's very much a resource management game and trying to you know collect the right the right things before other people do and kind of race to the the end game the best scoring by the end game. Uh, the Amber Mines expansion does add a lot of the just additional variability that I like in a game. It adds new artifact cards, a couple new elements that fit in really smoothly like magic cards. But the thing that I really like is that the one thing I didn't like about the original game of Near and Far that I felt kind of ruined the experience was that you could take a mining action in the main city when you went there and the mining action was just a really easy way to achieve tents and points and resources and it was kind of the the right strategy especially in a two-player game it was always the right thing to take that action whenever you could almost an instant win if one person focused on that and another person didn't the amber mines expansion really changes the way the mines work and kind of builds out a random tableau of cards that happen so that when you go to do a mine action it actually lets you randomly take a card off the top of the deck and flip over kind of a cave scene so that you're actually going into the mines and yeah you can go in there and get their free resources but you also the the resources you get are random but also you might run into a monster and you have to do a like a a power check or you might have to do a mine check or whatever some of the the kind of the the check rolls that you have to do in near and far to see if you can get past it. So sometimes you're not gonna accomplish anything, other times you're gonna get some really cool benefits. But the more times that you go to the mine, you have to spend bread resources to be able to do that. So you can't just do it for free. You have to collect bread or find some way to get bread or you know, which is another resource in the game. So it really changes that particular piece of the game. It's fun. It's a fun way to get some stuff early, but the later you get in the game, you can't just keep going back to it to leave your tents there and push the end game. So I think it fixed something that that was broken in the game. And that's one of the reasons we didn't talk about at the beginning of the segment why you would want an expansion to say like this game is good. I like a lot of what it does, but something about it doesn't work for me. This is a case where I think Ryan Lockett fixed the one problem that I had with the game. It's a must include for me. I, I wouldn't play near and far without the Ember Mines expansion. Yeah, I like it when there's an addition like that that takes something where in a game it's a, oh, duh, you always do that if you can and changes that around a little bit. I think that's useful. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, what's your number three? Wait, we didn't do Adam, did we? Yeah, he did prelude. It was a seamless segue. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. anymore. <laughs> it's, it's been it's been a long day. Um, my my number three, uh, a game that I believe Tim already name dropped once, and that is Cthulhu Death May Die. 
And this game, this expansion, or the expansions, there's a couple of them, but the main one, the, the main significant expansion is called Season 2. And the reason for that is it's all about new content. For those who haven't played it, this is a very, very, very story-based game, which, again, going back to something Tim said earlier, it really, when I was thinking about Cthulhu Death May Die, it really did make me say, oh yeah, you know, maybe that's the kind of thing that Tim was talking about in that poll. And, and it's a co-op game, it's very story-based, but what that means is when you have a story that replays over and over again, that can get a little bit old. So really the value of a game like that, the replayability of a game like that, is going to be in the ability to switch up those stories. And there's a number of them that come with the base game, there's a few more you can get as expansions, and there's the, the Season 2, which has a pretty good chunk of new stories. And I think that just is invaluable, especially if you like the game, because you're going to get bored of playing the same missions over and over again. It also has the benefit of adding in some new player characters. That's one game where there's no shortage of player characters. There's probably, there's like dozens of them, the boxes of player characters. And that's another place you add vari variability in this. Uh, but this adds a few of those as well, and the new missions. And best of all, it adds in a few new monsters as well. And for those, again, who have not played the game, one of the beauties of this is that you can take a mission, you can completely swap around characters, the heroes, and you can completely swap out the monsters and change the game out quite a bit. And so adding this new content creates an incredibly diverse amount of new of new playability that you have in the game. Yeah, that's a really interesting one because this one, I, as far as I remember, I don't think it actually changes the mechanisms at all. All it does is adds new stories, monsters, and characters. So it's really just about adding new content to the game. Yeah, there are some there are some minor tweaks in mechanisms from story to story. Like there are certain yeah. things you can do or try to do, but but yeah, it's really about adding new content. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I just bought Cthulhu Death May Die in the Shoggoth expansion, I think, but. Um, Right. Hey, as far nice. as I can tell, season two is not available. But if you guys run across it or any listeners, if you run across season two available um, at retail price or less on, on an online retailer, just let me know. Uh, drop me a link and I'll um, I'll be picking it up because I would like to add that in as well. I think, you know, that's one of the challenges with a game like that that is story driven. You know, you, you probably have, what, nine scenarios or ten scenarios or something like that in the base box. So you can replay those with different monsters and different characters, but I do think it's more fun when you're just exploring new scenarios, um, you know, every time you go back and play. So I think that's one that the expansion makes a whole lot of sense for. Yeah, and this one is a game where I, I actually give them a lot of credit for building the variability into even the, the base stuff. Because, I mean, you and I have played it a few times. I've played a few games uh, with my wife, and I don't think we've gone beyond the first three missions, even though we've probably played you know, collectively 10 games of it, which is kind of cool because you can switch out your characters, you can switch out your monsters and your missions. And so you can definitely get some replayability in there. Uh, but, you know, I imagine that if I was you know, constantly playing this game and just loved it to death, it would be completely you know, mandatory to have that expansion. Yeah. Hey, by the way, just this is a little tip. If anyone is playing Cthulhu Death May Die, you do not have to play the scenarios in order. And I think the first scenario is the weakest scenario in the entire first box in the, in the base box oh. i i really don't like playing that scenario that's the it's got this fire the fire one mechanism to it that is just a real pain in the butt and not very fun to play with but that's not at least consistent throughout the rest of the scenarios and i think some of the other scenarios are a lot more fun than that so very good point first of all if you if you play that first one and you're kind of turned off by it 
try a second one or a third one and see if you like it more um, or even just skip that first scenario because I think when I get my game in and start playing with a new group, I'll just be skipping that first one and jumping right into some of the other ones. Yeah, really good point. All right. So, Adam. I like the little Tim's tips that have been coming up lately. We need to have a little <laughs> special sound effect when tip for you guys. I like it. Tim's pro tips. There we go. My number three expansion is the expansion for The Expanse, the board game. So this is called... It's, it sounds stupid, right? <laughs> have you ever played this? Well, have you I ever have played, played this, this expansion. expansion yeah. Okay. Played good. It. Okay. Right. Don't expose my <laughs> underbelly just yet. I think I heard you just bought it, so I wasn't sure if you'd ever actually tried it. No, no, I played it twice. So it's called Doors and Corners expansion. And Doors and Corners comes, that's a phrase from the book. The expanse is based on IP by James S.A. Corey. It's a series of currently eight books. The ninth is coming out soon. It's also a TV show on Amazon. I love this intellectual property. It's a hard sci-fi, relatively hard sci-fi in the near future. By near future, I think I mean, I don't know, 200, 300 years out where civilization has colonized Mars and beyond. Well, first of all, the designers, Jeff Engelstein is published by WizKids. So WizKids isn't notorious for their production or colorfulness in a lot of their games. And this game, they released a new game board that actually has colors and the colors pop a little bit. So that is always nice. I enjoy color. And also it adds a thing called the proto molecule, which wasn't even in the base game. And it's just a feature aspect of the stories that adds a nice dynamic. It's a little tweak to the mechanics. It adds a few other modules that are kind of mm, take them or leave them. But the new game board and the proto molecule, which adds a new, you know, a twist for scoring. There's about four scoring, four or five scoring phases during the game. And if you have control of that proto molecule, you get some bonus points. And if two people have the same amount of control for that, um, the proto molecule, they blow up. And the, I think that whole system blows up. That's uh, the expanse. Doors and Corners expansion. Do you feel like the expansion, aside from improving the production a little bit, do you, you know, and adding this one mechanism, like, is it, does it fix something or is it just that it adds more, you know, did, like, would you play the game without it? Do you think it is a critical expansion to play with it? I think it's critical. Just to fit in with a the theme itself, there's, everyone's always fighting over this proto molecule in the books. And it's such a, a central, it plays such a central role in the books. And, and it's a very, one of the main plot lines of the story. So, it adds enough enough of a scoring twist and enough increased interest and dynamic that I think I would never play the game without the proto molecule in there. I have a question for you about the Expanse, the Amazon series. So I watched a few episodes of it, and the first episode, if I remember right, starts out with like a woman alone in a space station and trying to escape from some weird black ooze, alien ooze or something. Do you remember that scene? Of course. Okay, so that was awesome. It was a huge hook, grabbed me in, and then it went to, into like dry Star Trek diplomatic, um, like talky territory, which wasn't unnecessarily a bad thing. I probably would have stuck with it if my wife was into it, like like Star Trek, like Star Wars Episode One. No Jar Jar Binks there. I think you know. I don't think you can bring it that low. You know, I was curious. Does the does the show ever go back to the kind of that level of t tension and excitement, or does it stay more in the Star Trek? It's only territory? accelerates, Tim. Let me. This show is okay. fantastic. That first season was one of my favorites. I go back and watch that because so much of it is foreshadowing, and you and there's so much nuance in there. You go back and watch, you're like, this is the thing they're talking about in season three. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they cared enough to add this little <laughs> thing here in episode two of season one that ties into season four season five the writing is just incredible 
and the tension only ramps up. Now, there are some highs and lows, you know, like any narrative, you'll have some super tense moments. Oh, that's a common complaint. The first three, four episodes are kind of snoozers. And then you'll get back to that original scene and that black ooze, Okay. spoiler alert, is the protomolecule first oh, taking man. shape and starting to do what it does. Okay. So stick with it and... And then I'm going to force the game on us, too. And we'll all love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, right on. I'll, I'll have to give it a shot one of these days. Yeah, no, I think I think we should play it. It sounds it sounds like a fun, interesting game that at least we'll have a lot to talk about, if yeah. uh, regardless of how we feel about it. But it sounds, it sounds interesting. Yeah. All right. What so am I, in, am I in number three? Are we in number three at this point? Number three. You are Tim, in that's number right. three. Okay. So my number three is um, Orléans Trade and Intrigue. So... I just, fell asleep, I just fell asleep for a second. <laughs> so, for those listening in the United States, that's Orleans. <laughs> so for Orleans, okay, so Orleans is a really um, fun, if you like dry Euros, it's a really fun game with that has bag building and moving up tracks and, and trying to score the most points and moving around an ancient uh, European cityscape. Um, classic Euros. That sounds stuff. like a different different kind of theme <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> but um no it's a it's a it's a fun it's a it's a mechanically interesting enough game but i do think that it suffers a little bit a couple areas there's a board where you basically you can sacrifice the chips out of your bag so over the course of the game you're going to be getting new chips to put in your bag that you're going to be drawn off they're going to let you do different actions over the course of the game but at some point your bag gets too bloated and you want to focus it more you want to cut back some of the actions so you can sacrifice them in the base game, you pretty much can sacrifice them to this other board and you just get gold. And then if like one sections fill up in that board, you get some other benefit. But that's a pretty boring action. You're getting stuff out of your bag, you get a little bit of gold for it. In the Trade and Intrigue expansion, it adds two alternate sacrifice boards you can use. And the first one is, is the board I always play with. Every one of those actions that you can sacrifice to, there's a whole bunch of them, depending on the type of chip you're sacrificing, gives you a completely different benefit. And they're all fun. They're all interesting. They all let you plan around and kind of combo your turns and stuff. So that's really interesting. And then the alternate board that they have, which I haven't played with, is called the Intrigue Board. And that one is all take that mechanism. So if you put one of your guys, if you sacrifice one of your guys over there, you're going to give a negative effect to one of your opponents. If that's what you like to play, that's going to totally change up the game. The other things that this uh, expansion does really well is that in the base game, there's an event deck or kind of a stack of tiles that the game's played over 18 turns, 18 rounds. And each round, one of these tiles is going to get flipped over and it's going to basically set some negative or positive effect for everybody for that round. But they're all repeated. So there's like four or five different events that happen and they just keep coming up over the course of the game. So it gets a little dull. You see the same ones every game. The Trade and Intrigue expansion adds a whole bunch of variable tiles, like 25 new ones, and then you randomly choose different ones. So every game, different events are going to come up. They're all completely different effects. Really, really changes the way the game plays. It also adds some other things, like there's a there's a way when you're moving around the board and picking up goods, you can actually go to a city and turn in goods for points. So it gives you a little bit of a pickup and deliver mechanism that gets added and makes that part of the game more interesting and unique. This is one of those expansions that I would say is critical. Like if you are going to buy Orlean, go ahead and buy the Trade and Intrigue expansion. It's in a tiny little thin box. It's not that expensive and I would never play without it. I will never teach the game without it. And I have zero interest in playing Orlean without this expansion. So this is 
the only one on my list that I would say is actually a critical expansion, but it's it's so good that I wanted to bring it up on this list. Tim, hey Tim, I'm go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Adam. Okay, I'll go. Thank you, please. Okay, please, please, please. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Chris. <laughs> no, I ba- I bash on Orléans quite a bit, but I've actually never played this game, and I I would totally give it a crack. Where does this game sit on your trading resource management dry? Euro, if it is a dry euro, where does it sit on your all-time rank of games? So you talk about it a lot. I don't have my top 59 games of all time list here in front of me. It's on my <laughs> other computer right now. Uh, I think it's ranked an eight for me. The base game is, and the expansion is ranked a 10 for me. I like it a lot, and I'm happy to play it anytime. The reason I don't play it more than I do is because the setup is one of the worst. It's like a nice 30-minute setup. So Oof. if I haven't planned this earlier in the day that I'm going to be playing it later, it's not going to get played because nobody wants to sit around and wait for me to set up a game for 30 minutes. I think that's the biggest negative of it. And if it weren't for that piece of it, I would play it a lot more. So I like it quite a bit. It's I like the bag building mechanism. I think there are some other games that do that with more interesting themes. And so I do think this suffers from a pretty boring European medieval city in, in Europe theme to it. But I think it's a fun mechanism set and I would be happy to play it anytime. And Chris, this is one of your favorite games too? Yeah, I think this is one of the first, I don't know, three, four times that I ever played a board game with Tim, which which means the third or fourth time I ever played a serious board game. He busted this one out. And then he said, Orléans. And I was like, what? <laughs> and and then, I, then I really got it. It was like a little window into, into Tim's soul. But uh, yeah. But Tim, I, I was curious because the, um, the take that aspect of the expansion just sounds like the exact opposite of the kind of thing that would, you'd gravitate toward. What, what's different about this one? Well, first of all, I've never played that take that board. So it's an option in the expansion. Oh, okay. I never play with that one. I always play with the alternate board that just gives fun combo-y bonuses. Oh, I see. You guys would probably like the take that mechanism more because it would mean that you could just pick on me the whole game. I don't think it's a good fit for this type of game, to be honest. But if somebody likes that, if somebody likes high conflict and take that in a game, this will definitely add that. Most likely, unless somebody requests it, I'll never, I'll never play that part of the interesting. Game. So nothing, nothing changes okay. <laughs> with this, gotcha. with that expansion for me. I have no interest in playing that part of it. I'm still waiting for that Everdell commit arson against <laughs> your neighbors expansion. <laughs> Isn't that called root? Isn't that root? <laughs> yeah. I think it is root. Yeah, you're right. Chris, what is your number? What are we on? Number two. Number two. I was, I was really struggling to come up with a clever, you know, like um, uh, Everdell have a heart trap, uh, you know, mouse trap expansion or something like that, um, which just shows you know, what, a, what a bad person I am. Uh, but instead, I will launch into number two. And I will say I had a really hard time choosing between my number one and my number two, because my number two in expansions was my number one in all time games, and that is Star Realms. And I'm not going to pick one expansion because there are many, many expansions for Star Realms. And so I'm talking about them kind of collectively, which again is probably breaking the rules, but you know, they're all little mini expansions because it's a deck builder. It's a straight deck builder. It's nothing but cards. And every expansion is the addition of new cards. And so there's, you, you can add a little bit, you can add a lot, but what I love is that each expansion builds a little something new into the game. There are some that add some basic content like bases and fleets that really just add, you know, continue the same rules, but just add some more ships or bases, that sort of thing. And then there are some that add completely new mechanisms 
like the Heroes expansion or Gambits or Stellar Allies, which is one of my personal favorites because it adds in dual faction cards, which I think is, is just a ton of fun, both in terms of the things that you can do with them and just I love looking at the art. It's just conceptually so interesting. And then there is one or two scenarios. There's a couple of expansions where it completely turns the game on its head. Uh, the recently released, at least on the app, uh, Command Decks expansion, which so far Adam has completely like hogtied me with. I cannot beat Adam on this Command Decks expansion. Unless Chris gets the Colossus with the Stealth Needle that can copy <laughs> the Colossus, which will end up drawing him like 10 extra cards per round. That was brutal. That was a shellacking. In other words, if Chris just gets amazing luck in a game, there is absolutely no way to break the atom wall. Uh, but the other, the other one that really turns this game on its head is missions, which is not my personal favorite, but I actually do enjoy playing it every once in a while. That where you, that's one where you, instead of trying to kill your opponent, you're trying to to accomplish certain missions. So again, what what I really love about this is that they you can add in any of these. And you can mix and match them completely. I mean, you can add in the base deck with any other set of expansions you like, and the game is still just as fun. And what's amazing about it is how well-balanced the game remains, which shocks me because every time you add in a new card, you potentially throw that balance off, and yet they seem to have done an incredibly good, uh, a good job of not throwing that balance off, even with these multiple decks. And, you know... I just think that variability is is quite amazing. And added to a point that Tim had made earlier, and I, I'm, I'm forgetting already which game you're talking about, but one of the things about the original base deck of Star Realms, which I, I still you know love like a first child, is that there's a basic strategy. If you just pick the red scrap cards every time, you're, ba you're probably going to win the game. And that's basically all there is to that. And by adding in some of these expansions, you really do change that. You can change it to very different strategies start winning. And I think that helps because it creates a lot of variability and it creates, you know, an opportunity to exercise different strategies. And overall, extremely elegant. They fit together great. And I there, there's no I always play this or I always play that other than the base deck. I, I love mixing and matching and trying trying different things. And I'm curious to speak for, to, from you guys both, because I know we've all played this game quite a bit, you know, if your experience of those expansions is, is the same as mine, or if you have more of a, yeah, well, I, I never like to play these, or I always like to play these. I hate that new expansion that adds the completely variable <laughs> decks um, and the starting player powers. I don't stop stop inviting me to play with that. I don't want I don't want to play with it anymore. It, it actually like makes me angry when okay. I, when that comes up because I'm excited to start a new game of Star Realms and then I got to deal with this deck of crappy cards. I have no idea what they do. That was unequivocal. And, and also, kids get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, so the rest of the expansions are nice. all fun to play with from time to time. But before Adam answers, actually, Chris, I wanted to ask you because, you know, you picked like 15 expansions for this number two slot. If I held a baseball bat over that Tiki mug collection behind you and said you have to pick one expansion, I'm smashing all these mugs, which one expansion would you play with, you know, if you were going to just buy or own or recommend one expansion? Wow, the baseball bat over tiki mugs question. Or it's a variation on the, the desert island question. 
truthfully, my my heart says Stellar Allies because I really enjoy those those mixed um, faction cards. But in reality, if I had to just pick one to play with, it would probably be one like Frontiers that adds a lot of new material because there's a couple of them. Frontiers is one. I think there's another one that I'm probably forgetting the name of that adds like 20, 30 new cards and a whole bunch of new material. So that that I think is great. But in terms of the the, the feature that I find most interesting. I love those dual faction cards. All right, Chris, or sorry, Adam, what, what was your answer to, to Chris's question about how you feel about the expansion? I think some of the events, there's one, I, I don't know how many events the event expansion adds in there, but that adds a little too much. You can, you can be the first player, at least on the app, and like three of these events come up and you already bought four of the best cards in the game and the game's already over. So the events kind of sours it sometimes if those, you know, if you get an unsuccessful turn of fate and you happen to be the second player and all the good cards are gone, right? You're just, the game's over at that point already. So those events can kind of sour the experience for me. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair criticism. I think that's reasonable. All right, cool. So Adam, what's your number two? Okay, my number two, I'm a total poser on this one because I haven't actually played it. <laughs> um, so say, there again, we're eroding the fabric of the legitimacy that we never had for this podcast, at least for me. This is Zia, Embers of a Forsaken Star. This is by Ira Frey, Cody Miller, and Far Off Games. This is the expansion for Zia. This expansion is allegedly, I'll say that, incredible. Uh, Nobody has anything bad to say about it. It adds, (laughs) you guys are just laughing at me, but here's what it adds. It's one of these expansions that's like a fix to the base game. Not that Zia, the base game, needed a fix, but it adds a market. So there's a mechanism, pick up and deliver mechanism, where you could just get one planet that wants a good and that supplies this good, and they have the next door neighbor planet supplies the opposite good and gives the, and wants the other good. If So you can just pick up and deliver, like on a die roll of five, you're just already winning the game by going to the next door planet, your next door neighbor. Whereas this, this adds a nice economy, like a brass Birmingham supply and demand type of economy. So you can't just do that anymore. Also adds three new pre-painted little spaceships. Who doesn't want more spaceships? I do. It adds these comets. There's these icy comets flying around. If you accidentally bump into one of these guys, whoops, now your ship is getting crusted with ice. It keeps growing and growing until you fly somewhere and heat it up, melt this ice chunks off. It adds new spaceship parts, tetraminos, polyominoes, tetramino, whatever they're called. I think tetra means four. So these new spaceship parts, you can add them externally, add them. Not They're not just internally located. You add them externally to your ship. So a whole bunch of kind of new flavor, little fixes, little tweaks to the base game. That's Zia, Embers of a Forsaken Star. I have it sit my shelf in shrink wrap. <laughs> But it's awesome. I think this pick takes the cake. Not only that you haven't played the expansion, have you ever played the base game? Uh, like by myself as three different guys. Yes. Okay. Why don't we uh, get this out of TimCon and you can actually get this played? Please? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's clear that you really want to play this game. So let's. It looks so freaking amazing. I want to play this game so bad. And it's going to dice chucking and goofiness, but you can do whatever you want. And there's some resources to manage. And there's conflict to be had, and there, you can run away if you want to. You can do it all. So this game looks pretty fun. All right. That's like good. so many expansions, this one is so much better when you play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no rebuttal. For my number two is an expansion that doesn't 
add new mechanisms, but completely changes the way the game plays. And that is the Scythe modular board expansion. So with Scythe, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of expansions that add some variable content and you know new factions and things like that. But the, the reality is, is that the game, when you start with any of the five base factions to start in the game, you always start at the same location on the board. And it's always the same starting resources that are available to you on that peninsula that you start with. So it starts to feel pretty quickly that when you play with a faction, the opening turns of that faction, what you're going to be able to do is pre-scripted. It feels very standard. And it also means that probably some of the factions are a little imbalanced because the resources that they're available to start with might really benefit their particular strategy, something that works really well with them. Rusviat's a great example. It's really easy to create people with Rusviat and Creating people is a great thing to do with that faction based on some of the mech abilities you have, things like that. What the modular board does is it gives you these four big tiles um, and they're double-sided with different things on both sides. And you randomly place them out on the board to cover all the hexes around the factory in the middle. And it completely changes the kind of the, the board layout, what resources available, where the rivers run, where the lakes are, all of that stuff has changed. Beyond that, um, it gives you these tiles to kind of randomly place around the whole board that replaces where the factions start. So that way, essentially what you've got is completely different starting locations, completely unique layout and everything like that. Now, what that does do is it does make some of the starting locations more valuable, regardless of the faction. So that's why it introduces a draft to the starting location. Based on the starting player, you pick in reverse turn order which location you want to start with basically which faction you're going to start with and then that tells you where you're starting and so every game different factions are stronger based on their starting location what resources are close to them and kind of what that faction is best at so i love that decision at the beginning of every game with this modular board to say like okay this thing is totally in a unique position this faction sucks over here it's it's landlocked it's got like three lakes around it but these three factions over here are all really interesting and fun, and every one of them is going to be a cool challenge. Completely changes the way the game plays. So if you've played side the bit, you start to feel like it's getting a little tired. The modular board completely changes the whole experience of the game without really adding any different mechanisms. You just play Game of Scythe with it, but everything feels different. So I really love what this expansion did for, for Scythe for me. Do you have a group? that is or have you had a group that is fairly competitive with scythe to make this a viable option enough times like it sounds awesome but i would think you'd have to have a pretty experienced group to make it useful yeah i would say that that's one of the challenges with something like this is because it does require some understanding of an experience with scythe in order to even play it so this is a hard you know expansion to suggest that you play i probably would never do it with people that were playing for the first time that being said it doesn't take too much experience one or two plays is all you need and then you can add this in so yeah i i think yes definitely i played with with my old group back in long beach before we met you adam we played scythe quite a few times and i could have pulled this out anytime and just added it in and nice. it would have been fun played with my brother several times you could i could just you know add it in anytime and it just changes it up one of the other things it does, which I didn't mention, is that you can leave some of those tiles off and essentially tighten the board. So for like a two or three player game, if you didn't like Scythe because it didn't offer enough conflict, you can also do that as well, um, which will kind of pull people closer together and make sure that there's more conflict in the game. So it adds that as well. But yeah, I don't think you don't have to be super experienced to play with this. You just have to have a couple games out of your belt and then you could 
add this in and I think it'd be a fun experience for you. All right. Hey, Tim, I just wanted to say, I, I thought that was a great choice because kind of like the Hellas and Elysium, it's a completely unsexy expansion that does so much to refresh and kind of even out the game. And I, I think that makes it a really great example of a good expansion. Yeah, and kind of like Hellas and Elysium, aside from just adding the boards where Hellas and Elysium adds the new awards and milestones, this actually does have one other extra bonus because they just wanted to add something to the punch boards that came with those modular boards, and it adds some new building tiles. So just more variability in the building tile stack. Not a big thing, oh, but one more thing that changes up the game a little bit. So yeah, for sure, it's a simple little expansion add-in that I think really um, freshens this game up and makes it infinitely replayable if you if you like yeah. the, the core mechanisms at all. All right, so let's get down to our number one. Chris, what's your number one expansion of all time? Please tell me you've played it and that you actually have a single expansion to mention. <laughs> The ridiculous criteria. <laughs> Here are my top five best number one expansions. You know, before I answer this one, I'm curious, Tim. You said that you thought you knew what I thought was going to be overlap we might have. And I'm yeah. curious to know, before I say this, what you thought it was that I was going to say. Yeah, I think that your number one expansion is Side the Rise of Fenris. And you thought that wow. was going to be on my list as well. Uh, no, I'm, I'm blown away. I mean, first of all, I guess that must mean I made a, a pretty, pretty good choice because at least you thought of that. But yeah, that is my number one. Scythe, Rise of Fenris. It is in keeping with the comments I was making before about Cthulhu, Death May Die, and what we were talking about earlier with a uh, story-driven a story-driven style of game. Scythe itself is it's thematic, but it's not exactly story-driven. And then the Rise of Fenris it introduces a campaign mode that is highly story-driven. And oh my goodness, what a story. It adds in great narrative, it adds in some really big surprises, which I, I don't want to say because they really do come as surprises, so I don't want to give any spoilers. But if you're if you're someone who likes Scythe, absolutely, that is a must-have expansion, in my opinion. It's probably one of my favorite gaming experiences of all time, which, interestingly, um, one of my others, and I think one of Tim's other, other uh, favorites, was the uh, Clank Acquisitions Incorporated. And this one... I think puts that to shame even, even as wonderful as, as Clank was. It takes the basics of the story of the game. It adds a great story. It adds some new content, but again, I don't want to get into what that is. I actually enjoyed it so much that even knowing what the surprises are, I would love to play that one again sometimes. So I highly recommend it to anybody who has ever played uh, Scythe and enjoyed it. So and I'm surprised it's not on your list, Tim. Yeah, so I uh, agree with everything you said. I think it's a it's a wonderful expansion and, and probably the strongest expansion that's going to be in any of these lists. It was hard to leave off my list. And there were a lot of expansions that I wanted to include. If I was going to pick one for side, I thought the modular board was more important for kind of infinite replayability for me. Although mm -hmm. the Rise of Fenris expansion, aside from just being campaign-based, actually adds a whole bunch of new modular ways to play Scythe that for some people are going to improve the game, I think. You know, it's going to change the game experience in ways that you really like. So I love the Rise of Fenris expansion. I definitely recommend it to a Scythe fan. But the best part of that expansion was the campaign for me. And so even though I would be happy to replay that campaign again, the modular components of it are less important to me than the actual modular board, which I will always want to play with. That's why I picked the modular board over the Rise of Fenris expansion, but it's a fantastic expansion. If you like Scythe, you got to play that. Get get a few friends together, 
two, three, four friends together. Chris and I played a two-player and had a blast with it, even though that's not the optimal way to play a game like that. But three or four people get that exp- that campaign out, and I think you guys will have a blast with it. I have a pro tip for you, though, with this one again. <laughs> Light, life hack by Tim. Life no, hack I think this, by Tim. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is exp- important. If you um, want to play this expansion, it was intentionally made so that you could kind of play two games per game night. So if you play two games in a row, one of the games is going to be kind of an average length game of Scythe, and the second one is going to be super short. And that caused some complaints to people because they said, hey, I got my whole group together. We busted out the second game in this campaign, and it took 15 minutes to get through. You may be disappointed if you're going in to say like, hey, we're setting up one of the game nights and we're going to get through one game tonight. It's going to go quick. Jamie Stegmeyer said it was intended because he wanted to make sure people could play through a couple games in a session so that it'd be easier for them to get the whole campaign done. Um, so just count on that. Tr- plan to play two games in a session night. It'll go just a little bit longer than a single game, um, but then you'll get the full you know, experience and you'll get through the whole campaign a little bit faster. So there's my pro tip. Yeah. And one thing I'll add uh, in regard to what you're saying about the the number of players that uh, for reasons that, again, I, I don't want to give anything away, but for reasons that will be obvious if you actually make it a little ways into the campaign, that this is actually a campaign mode that is pretty well suited to having two players. So if you have a family member or a, you know a best friend or whatever that you like to play games with a lot, it actually makes a great two-player campaign. Yeah, it worked great. It was, it was all good. I, I still think it'd be stronger at three or four, but it did work really well at two. So don't, don't hesitate. I had a blast playing it at two, and I'd, I'd do it again. Adam. Tim, any guesses for my number one expansion? Oh, man, I feel like I should know what it is, but I don't, I don't, I can't, nothing's coming to mind. And I have a feeling once okay. you say it, I'll, I'll, I won't be surprised by it. No. What's, what's your number one, Adam? I'm glad we're not super duper predictable. <laughs> That's probably why you beat us at every freaking point. Anyway, <laughs> my number one expansion is Star Wars uh, Rise of the Empire. Mm, okay. This adds. All the characters and a bunch of stuff from Rogue One. It's largely Rogue One influenced, which I think Rogue One might be my top Star Wars film. Wow. Controversial controversial opinions coming out all over the place here tonight. But um, what else does it add? You can be Cassian Andor, Jane Erso is in this game. It has U-Wings, TIE Strikers, Nebulon B frigates. Also adds Jabba Du-Hutt, who was a surprising non-inclusion in the base game. But he makes an appearance here. It streamlines the combat. It makes the combat quite nice. Nicer. It still is a little lengthy, but whatever. All new mission cars. Changes up the game nicely. Adds some new things. New tactics. Bunch of stuff. I love it. Star Wars. Rise of the Empire. Tim, you've had a chance to sort of play this. Yeah, my, my suggestion here was that if you're going to play Star Wars Rebellion, pick up Rise of the Empire. I think it does fix the combat to some extent. The game is still, to me, a little fiddly and a little long, but I think it really does make the the combat more interesting and all the content is just a bonus. New types of ships and fighters and everything that you can buy. Nothing else was problematic. It didn't add anything too excessive. It didn't make it harder to learn in my experience. Also, if you're playing the Rebels, make sure to read that one card that lets you sabotage a planet because it's different from the base game. And the new card kind of has another ability there, so it's easy to miss that you can sabotage with it. Um, I made that mistake the first time I played with it. You need to sabotage. <laughs> yeah. But uh, beyond that, no, absolutely. This is this is an awesome expansion. That's a great pick. I was wondering why you were sabotaging me more. Tim, what's your number one? Okay, and my number one is um, 
for a game called Jamaica. This is a Bruno Cathala game. Fun, family weight, two to six player game. Uh, I really like the game, but it's a very family weight. It can get tired quickly. You know, if you have five or six people together, it's always going to be a raucous, good time, fun, exciting moments. Um, but it gets a little, you know, repetitive and dull. The crew fixes all that. It just, um, it adds an engine building element. It adds really fun, interesting choices. It makes the um, visiting ports in the game, which before was just a way to waste money. It actually makes an interesting decision. Now you get to spend money to actually hire someone onto your board, which is going to give you a new special ability. Um, really, really excellent expansion that if you're, if you're going to play the Jamaica, um, unless it's just really, truly like with young kids or very new beginner to board games, just add the crew in and it really makes the game a lot more dynamic and a lot more fun to me. Uh, so this one, I don't know, why did it make my number one? I think because to me, this was the most important one on my list that I think saved the game for me. I don't think Jamaica would still be in my collection if this expansion didn't exist. Maybe Orleans is probably another one that would be like that. But um, Jamaica, the crew, really actually makes this game into a game that was a fun, filler-heavy experience into a game that I actually really love every time I play it with three to, three or more people. Man, what a great choice. I mean, that is, because as soon as you said it, I'm like, of course, that's such a great choice because one of the things about this game that is wonderful is its sense of humor. It's visually, visually its sense of humor. I think you had actually listed Jamaica as being one of your top five or ten art, yeah. games for yeah. art of all time. And the art is absolutely, it's so charming and funny. And the crew adds a whole new level and lets you interact with it more. So pulling in those characters, they're they're fun to look at, they're fun to pull in, and they actually have these very you know thematically important um, powers associated with them. And I just man, I, I love it. Yeah, and it also it's when you're talking about thematically, it's fun because you go to a port, you have to spend money in the in the base game. In this one, so when you go to a port, you move this little rum bottle around in a a kind of a tableau of face down tiles. These are the crew members. If the rum bottles next to any crew members, you turn them face up and then you can choose whether you want to hire them, add them onto your boat. So you could be next to multiples or you can spend an extra dollar to move the rum bottle one more space and flip over other tiles. So you have the opportunity to say, that's not something that fits with my strategy. Let me go see what's over here. It's a little random. But when you have the crew member on your boat, it fills up one of your um, uh, your holds in your boat and those are limited right so throughout the game as you collect resources or cannonballs or um, food or uh, money you have to replace if, if your holds full you have to replace something else in your hold so when you have a crew member in one of those hold spaces and you get something else in there you can actually replace the crew member it's like you're throwing the crew member overboard to make space for for your treasure or your food or whatever so it's a fun little thematic like piratey thing to do uh, in this game so yeah, absolutely love it. And uh, and it's also kind of fun that when you attack another boat where you can normally take something from someone else's hold, you can steal their crew members and mm -hmm. you can like get them onto, you can basically take their special abilities um, and get them onto your boat. So it just adds so many more fun little decisions and thematic elements that makes this game really fresh for me every time. So piratey. So piratey. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our uh, top five board game expansions. Did you guys have anything else? Any final thoughts before we wrap up today? You guys have any honorable mentions for expansions? Ones that came close but didn't quite make the list. Ones that you haven't played yet. I do. That are possibly awesome. <laughs> no, no, they're all ones I played. Let me run through a couple really quickly that I think are worth calling out. Um, the Trade Routes expansion for Castles of Burgundy um, makes that game even even more special. And it fixes one of the problems was that 
basically selling goods wasn't that interesting of an effect. It was just something you do when you couldn't do anything else. Um, the trade routes expansion gives you a bonus if you sell goods of the same color as this little root of cards in front of you. Really adds a fun little fresh flavor. It's like a $6 expansion. The reason I didn't include it on my list, it would have been, is that the second edition of Castle Burgundy actually includes that in the core box. So if you get the current version of Castle Burgundy, it's already built in there. But if you have the original version and you don't have trade routes, go pick it up. It's totally worth it. Number two was Lords of Waterdeep. Scoundrels of Skullport, I think is the name of it. It's the only expansion for Lords of Waterdeep, but it basically adds two expansions in the, the game. Adds a whole bunch of new content, adds some new uh, worker placement spaces to use, and a whole new mechanism that makes some spaces give you a negative value. So it's an interesting trade-off there. And lastly, Champions of Midgard, the Valhalla expansion, fixes the problem some people have with the luck of the dice roll because it gives you a benefit if your armies die, but also it gives you a little bit of an engine building thing that you can spend those dice for ongoing effects. All three of those are excellent expansions. If you like the base game, pick up the expansions. They're worth it. They, the reason I didn't include Lords of Waterdeep or Champions of Midgard is that I still I think they're fun games. I still have them in my collection, and I wouldn't play them without those expansions but they're just not super favorites of mine anymore. I think they've been overplayed for me. So, But great expansions in any case. What about you, Chris? Did you have any honorable mentions? Uh, a couple of them, and both of them happen to be comic book games, uh, and one of them is Marvel United. There is a number of expansions there, and there, uh, I, I'm not going to pick one expansion other than to say that there's a bunch of them that add some interest to the game. It's, uh, it's one that I spent a lot of money on on Kickstarter and was sadly a little bit disappointed in the simplicity of the base game, which made me sad because it, it had such a, you know, such promise associated with it. And I know that a lot of people really love it, so I feel pretty controversial saying that, but I thought the base game was a little bit oversimple. And I think that there's a couple of the expansions that add uh, some complexity to it. And I think that's like the, I forget, I'm forgetting the names. I didn't prepare this like I did the rest of my list. Uh, the one with Thanos and the Black Panther, and there's some some interesting storytelling in there. Sorry, Chris, have you actually played some of those, those expansions yet? Uh, to quote Adam, no. <laughs> <laughs> I do want you to check back. I want you to check back once you actually play them and tell us if it actually fixes the game for you. Because I, I, you know, I'm just curious. I, I'm interested if it actually makes it an interesting enough game. Yeah. To make it fun for you. Yeah, I, I'd like to. I, I do want to try them, but haven't just have not gotten to do that yet. All right. And the other is the again multitude of expansions for Batman Gotham City Chronicles, which are legion and in a lot of ways it reminds me of cthulhu death may die where the the missions are what they are but you can swap out villains you can swap out heroes there's just so many different things that you can add to it and a lot of that comes in the form of expansions and so i think that that adds a lot of replayability and interest and like the like the disney game i was talking about before villainous this is one where if you're a fan of dc comics you're going to have your favorites. You're going to have your characters you like, that you love, that you want to get into the game. And you might have a bunch of them and being able to swap them out almost, you know, it's like a little fanboy's dream. And so I, I think that makes it a lot of a lot of fun. Nice. Adam, what about, <laughs> what about you? What about you? Any, any uh, runners up? And um, these could include games that you've never played before if you want. <laughs> or just, just like your main list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I've never heard of this game, but I just looked it up. It sounds rad. <laughs> no, I'm looking at Spirit Island Branch and Claw, which I own, and it's I have played numerous times. Uh, this was, I don't know, I, I was really into this a couple years ago. It's kind of fallen off my radar lately. Branch and Claw adds a bunch of new stuff to an already admin-heavy base game, but this adds stuff like events 
it adds more, I forget what they're called, small powers and big powers. Then it adds like the, the wildlife and the growth and the viruses. So a bunch more chits that you put out there on the map and you need to manage those. It adds adversaries. So you can more ways to increase the difficulty of the game as these little exploration nuggets that you can kind of go to this land, flip it over, see if you got something. Just a whole bunch of little modules that are pretty, pretty cool if you're into Spirit Island. Also adds two new spirits, at least two new spirits. Looks like two new spirits, but a bunch of content for the game. The other expansion for Spirit Wait, Island. Go ahead, Tim. Oh, okay. Sorry, you're going to talk about another one for Spirit Island. Go ahead. Yeah, the other one for Spirit Island was the big Kickstarter that they had not too long ago. And it is called Jagged Earth. And that adds everything that had been previously released, a whole bunch of promo spirits. I think there's like, I don't know, maybe 24 spirits total, something like that. And just a whole ton of content for Spirit Island. So one of these was like we talked about earlier, Branch and Claw. At least some of that content was part of the original design of the game. But they decided that was too much stuff to release in one box. So that's when they had this little separate box with all these added nuances and mechanisms if you enjoyed the base game enough to go on and pursue more content. So that's just a little side note there. I have a couple more expansions, but Tim, are you going to jump in? Yeah, just that first of all, I would, I've never played Spirit Island, but I would really like to at some point. I think you would really enjoy this game, Tim. It seems like very much of a Tim game. Yeah, the only reason I'm hesitant is that uh, you know, I probably played as a solo game because I'm not too big on co-op. And if I was going to, I understand you play with two of the spirits and I, I get the impression it could get a little admin heavy and that that you know that's not my favorite type of um solo experience where I have to think through what is this guy going to do and then I have to plan the strategy for this guy so I'm not sure how much I could get out of it but I would like to try it at some point walks the line between admin heavy or puzzle solving so it's kind of one in the same in this game okay if I do this it's going to shift these over here but this guy can do that and take out these guys yeah. and so it's kind of all how stuff's gonna synergize together and work out I'd love to try it if you decide you want to get rid of it, I'd be happy to take it off your hands. But also, just so you know, I heard that it is currently out of print and going for high prices on the aftermarket. So now's a good time to sell it if you want to get rid of it. I get a lot of offers yeah. for this one. It's on my for trade. Nice. Yeah, I haven't nice. pulled the trigger yet. All right. No, that's all I wanted to say about Spirit Island. Okay. But what else did you have? Another one that's just an honorable mention because it's been included or aspects of it have been included in the second edition is Eclipse, Rise of the Ancients. That's uh, That was an expansion to the original Eclipse, but all that content's been wrapped up into the second edition, which I own. So I don't see how I could justifiably include that in the list, even though I justifiably included games that I haven't played yet. <laughs> um, what else? In Seasons of Ennis is an expansion that adds um, an in-game. Some people complained that the the game could just go on and on and on, kind of in a you know, so, okay, take out the next guy so he doesn't win. And, okay, that guy who just lost, has it's his duty to take out the next guy so that he doesn't win. And on and on and on. So this adds a module to fix that. Adds a fifth player module. Adds a couple other little modules. Harbors, so you can, like, go in out on these little islands and stuff. Just a bunch more stuff for Ennis, which is a game that I love tons and tons. Well, what about Nightfall for Parks? You know, that's pretty cool. All right, I haven't played Nightfall either, but I've heard it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like you're just listing off every expansion for games that you've ever played before. Basically. Well, at least I own it, but I, yeah, I haven't played it. Have you guys played Nightfall? What's what's your thoughts on Nightfall? Is it? I have played Nightfall, and I think if you kind of a heavier gamer and you kind of tired of the base parks, then play Nightfall. Yeah, 
it, it adds some more decisions. A newer gamer or somebody that just wants a lighter family weight game experience, don't bother adding it in. But I, I do, I do like what it brings okay. to it. Yeah, I've I played it also, and I agree with Tim. It's uh, it's one that I wouldn't play every time necessarily, but it it really does add some new interesting stuff. It almost made my top five, so it's okay. definitely a good one. You know, one thing I wanted to just mention on expansions, I, and maybe you know we've gone so long here that maybe we should cut this. We we need to cut some content. Maybe we should release part of this episode as an expansion. Ah. <laughs> now, one last thing I wanted to mention was that um, one thing that's interesting about expansions lately is Kickstarters and how a lot of the times Kickstarters are actually releasing extra content with the base game. So, you know, you're like looking at this big game and what do they do as stretch goals? Oh, here's a new expansion or here's an add-on that you can buy on. Um, that's an area where I... I question the value most of the time of those expansions and, you know, that people are investing in more content for a game they've never played before. You know, it's, it's easy to buy into that fear of missing out and want to just get everything in the game. But I do think that that is potentially just a money grab and, and probably not a very good value for most people who are buying the game. That's, that's my thoughts on it. Man, I know that feeling well. Yeah. And it works <laughs> on me all the time frustrating yeah all right well i think we should probably wrap up we went an awful long time about five little expansions tonight great talk with you guys if any of you who are listening would like to join us in the conversation hit us up on social media you can find us on twitter at bg underscore hot takes or at facebook at board game hot takes catch up with us or just subscribe and listen to the next episode until next time take care everybody bye everyone bye bye